If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 11. We want to look at this series, as I mentioned earlier, The Heroes of Faith. We want to look at part one. We're going to see verses one through seven. And each one of us have to deal in our lives in the factor of faith. It is so important, even this morning as you're sitting in these chairs, by faith you sat down, and by faith you're hoping they don't break. And so the faith factor is part of our life. We all believe and we operate by faith on a daily basis. Many of the times that we operate, it just, it's just generally a part of our life, unknowingly how we walk by faith. I wanted to give you the scenario. Maybe this happened in your life this morning. We trust by faith that the alarm clock's going to go off. And we hope and pray that, you know, there wasn't a power shortage last night, or we might have one of those that pick it back up with our battery. And yet, what if the battery doesn't work? And so that factor of faith. And so I finally get up. Now I turn the lights on by faith. I go to the restroom, and maybe you're one of the ones that have an electric toothbrush, and by faith, it better work. Then I head out to the kitchen, and by faith, I put on the, the coffee pot, and it's electrical. Now we get into our vehicle, and you turn the, the key on, and by faith, your vehicle is going to turn on. God forbid, but... How many times uh, throughout our life, maybe once, maybe twice, the battery's dead. And so look at the faith factors. Now you might pull out of your garage and you might have one of those garage door openers and then you press the remote and by faith it opens up. And so the faith factor is such a part of our lives. But what about that faith that we're supposed to have in Christ Jesus? That faith that we're supposed to have in God Almighty? This morning, have we trusted God by faith in our salvation? Webster's Dictionary gives us this position about faith. The word faith, he says, is a noun. And we know from school that a noun is a person, place, or thing. But listen to what Webster says. Faith is my belief. Faith is my trust that does not ask for proof. I like that. We have faith, listen to this, in our doctors, our lawyers, and our politicians. And yet sometimes and many times, they fail us. And so what happens to our faith there? Listen to this text now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul the Apostle, in writing to the church at Corinth, he says, These three main, remain, that is, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Our faith in Jesus Christ operates uh, through love. Our hope in Jesus Christ operates uh, through faith. And so Webster's is hitting the nail on the head, and here's Paul bringing it forth. But I want you to listen to what Webster says at the conclusion. Because our faith and our trust abide in God. I love God, and you love God. But listen to Webster now. Job, because Webster's... Uh, basically, Mr. Webster was a Christian, but he uses Job, Old Testament saying. Job kept his faith in spite of his trial, his troubles, his pains, and his death. Go back and read Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
a man of faith. The Bible says he lost everything. And then God returned everything to him a hundredfold by faith. And each one of us here this morning, uh, we've all gone through our faith factors. Who doesn't go through trials? Who, th who doesn't go through hardship and pain? And so the reliance upon faith. Uh, leave a marker there. Just flip back a few pages. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 37 through 39. And this began the development of faith. Now, these verses are being taken by the writer of Hebrews out of the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. And Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. But I want you to listen to this. In verse 37, Hebrews chapter 10, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He's speaking about the second coming of Christ. We all have, you know, the concept of Christmas. We're already looking at Christmas. Thanksgiving is around the corner. And before you know it, Christmas will be here. We will celebrate Christmas. It's traditionally, you know, December the 25th. And so we don't have a problem uh, with the first advent of Christ. Oh, yes, his birth, his first advent. But what about the second coming of Christ? We don't have that same concept because obviously it hasn't taken place yet. But if Jesus came the first time, what makes us think he's not going to come on the second coming? And so verse 37, for yet a little while, and he says, and he who is coming will come and he will not tarry. Now, here's where the church is involved. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. That's what we studied last week. The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are the church, the body of Christ. We are the just ones. We are the righteous ones. We are the innocent ones. The Bible says we are the holy ones who shall live by their faith, their faith in Jesus Christ the Messiah. I love when we look at Scripture and it speaks about our faith. You're here this morning by faith. Look at verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back uh, to perdition, but of those who believe uh, to the saving of the soul. One of the struggles with uh, the Hebrew Christians, you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, and, and Paul, I believe, is a writer. If not, it's the Holy Spirit, was exhorting them. Because there were those that were slipping away in their faith. And so faith is so important for us. And we must first have that faith in Christ. Have that faith in God. And then faith that he's going to, and trust in him, he's going to take care of us. He's going to lead us and guide us into all truth. In the midst of trials, again, our brother Job. He lost everything, and yet he remained faithful. In fact, when you study Job... His wife says, look at the mess you're in. The man had boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He had lost all his servants, lost all his children, lost all his animals. He says, Job, you're a mess. This is his wife. She says, curse the God that you serve. And Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to trust God. Now, have we come to that place? Oh, it's good when everything's fine. But when the trials come, the tribulations come, the hardships come, the pain comes. When somebody that I love, somebody that you love, is in a hospital bed. When somebody comes to that place of, of death in my family, do I still trust God? 
The Bible says to lean upon God, to trust God. Not to try to, you know, figure it out with our own understanding. Sometimes these things take place. Now, let's go to our text. And we're going to be, begin to see the development. The heroes of faith. But before we speak about the heroes of faith, let's find out what is faith. What is faith all about? In Hebrews 11, look at verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So again, we ask the question, what is faith? Listen to the Greek translation here. Faith is a confident assurance that what we hope for, the word hope is to expect, to trust, to confide in, it's going to happen. It is the evidence, listen, that's the proof of the things we cannot see. Again, Jesus partook of the first coming. Now, I believe that by faith. And for years, we've celebrated Christmas. For years, we've given away uh, gifts and received gifts. I mean, who doesn't like the Christmas season? But what about faith now to believe in his second coming? Now, let me give you the example. Jesus is coming back soon. It's not seen now, but will be proof one day. How do I know this? But by faith, my faith in God, my faith in his son, Jesus Christ. This is where faith comes in. Now, what is the substance? Substance is my assurance, my, my guarantee, my hope, my conviction in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about these Hebrew Christians that the letter is being penned to. How much they needed to be assured in their faith. Now, if you've been coming to the Hebrew studies, we know that in about two years span, about a four year span, the Hebrew Christians were going to be challenged. Because Titus and the Roman army was going to come in and level Jerusalem. They were going to level the temple. And they were going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. Talk about trusting God. The trials, the tribulation, the hardship. Pastor Chuck, in his commentary, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, I just thought it was so intriguing. Chuck says, substance and evidence concerning faith. There is a substance to faith. As we look forward to God doing what he says he will do, it is just not fantasizing or blind faith. It is absolute reality. It is the evidence of things not seen. That is, although there may not be visible evidence of it at the moment, I believe God will do what he has promised, and that is all the evidence that I need. All God has done so far stands as evidence that he will continue to remain faithful. Chuck concludes, I have the promise of God, and that is sufficient. And I like this, what he shares at the end. I rest on that. Now, Pastor Chuck has been in the ministry a long time. Pastor Chuck has been a Christian uh, for a long time. And his rest is in God. His faith in God. You see, faith rejoices without seeing or understanding what God is currently doing. Now, man doesn't understand that. Man can struggle with that. You see, God said it in Scripture, then I need to rely upon it. I want you to listen to this verse. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, Paul tells the church at Corinth, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is faith, church. The Bible promises eternal life. I believe that by faith. It hasn't happened yet. Faith is that substance where I have to trust God in everything. And God works and builds my faith and your faith. I want you to write down this verse. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul the apostle writes to the church at Rome. Listen to what he says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what you're doing here this morning. As we come to church, as we come to Bible study, as we read our, you know, devotion in the morning, as I take time to seek God, to seek his face, I must trust him by faith. And God builds my faith. And so we're going to go through these heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to see their faith, some of the women. We're going to see their faith. And it's going to be an example to us. It's going to be a testimony to us. It's going to be a witness to us. And so I see others that are in the body of Christ. I see what they go through. I see what they have their faith in. It encourages me. It should encourage you. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How much faith do I need? Now, we've taught this many times. You're taking notes. In Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. The disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith, Lord. Now, that is a prayer that we should all make. That is a prayer that I make. Lord, give me faith. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, add to my faith. And then again, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Get into the word of God. God builds your faith. But the disciples asked him in Luke 17, increase our faith. Jesus responds. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to have faith. Now, am I going to go over to a mulberry tree and pull it up by its roots or ask it to be pulled up? Not necessarily, but to have faith. Another passage, he tells us to have childlike faith. But here's mustard seed faith. I love the rendition of the mustard seed faith because the mustard seed is probably the smallest of the seeds. To better understand a mustard seed, if you look at a BB, and that's pretty small, it's less than that. I mean, the mustard seed, it just sits in the palm of your hand and you have to look for it. Jesus said, have that kind of faith. And that faith that he puts in our hearts as we trust him. Now, look at verse 2. And and he speaks about the ancients. He speaks about, uh, you know, the forefathers. And so the writer of Hebrews says, For by it, speaking of faith, the elders obtain a good testimony. The Old Testament saints obtain a good witness, a good report. Because of their faith in God, these Old Testament saints, the the forefathers, they received such a great witness. And that's what the Hebrew uh, chapter 11 is all about. Now we, the church today, have the testimony of our holy scriptures. God has given us, as you look at your Bible this morning, 
66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, books that, according to Scripture, build up our faith. The Word of God. Now, listen to this beautiful text. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul, the writer, he's sharing with young Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this profound statement. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But I want you to see this word here. All Scripture. Speaking of Old Testament, New Testament. These 66 books. All Scripture. He says is God-given. It's inspired by God. Yes, Paul the Apostle writes. Isaiah writes. Jeremiah writes. Uh, Paul, Peter, James, John. But they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I've always encouraged my heart with that. The inspiration of God speaks of the Greek words, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Well, listen, Pastor, I, I know there's copyists there. I'll guarantee you there's times that there are copyists there. But when we look at the original Scriptures, the original text, it's there. And so by faith we read it, and by faith we make application of the Word of God. It's inspired by God. God's Word is, is, is breathed upon by Him. And I want you to think when, when you go through the Scriptures, how God speaks to you, how God ministers to you. God's Word is alive. It's not dead. How many times you, you know, listened to the Word of God, read it yourself, or even been preached to or taught to, and then all of a sudden it seems like that Scripture or Scriptures just seem to jump out at you. God's speaking to us. The Scripture is God-breathed. It's ministering to our hearts. And so these Hebrew Christians, there was a good report of their testimony, was that their faith was a witness of their relationship with and for their God. All Scripture. What a testimony. And so we learn from the example of our forefathers. And he begins here in verse 3 now, the example of faith in creation. Now, we live in a world, uh, I mean, we are so blessed. We have so much. And you know, the time that my wife and I and our kids, we have spent here in the Southwest, you cannot deny the creation of God, especially at night when we can see the stars. See, in Southern California, it's far and in between. The stars, most of them live in Hollywood, right? But we have the stars here. The moon. Oh, how many Wednesday nights when we leave here and then we head out uh, towards our house uh, over here by Del Rey and then we make a left and then we go up uh, Westmoreland and, and the moon is right there. I mean, I tell Mary, let's keep going. You know, past Westmoreland, let's just keep going. I mean, eventually, by the time we get, you know, up to the foot of the mountains, we have to reach it. That's how close it seems. It just seems like you can grab a hold of it. It is so beautiful. God's creation. 
Now, let's go into this. It's so beautiful here. In verse 3, by faith, listen to what he says. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, church, this is where our faith comes in. The writer is saying, uh, through faith, we know that the entire universe was formed perfectly at God's command, the spoken word. That's what we now see did not come from anything that we can see. Now, I want you to turn back with me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I love this story of creation. And I've been asked, well, how do you know you weren't there? I mean, look around us. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. How can we deny God's creation? And so in Genesis chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was in the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God's creation. Now, we have the studies of evolution. We understand that. We're not going to deny that. Personally, I believe that in school, we should teach both. We should teach creation, and we should teach evolution, and let the, the, you know, the students, let them come to a conclusion. And I'll tell you what. I mean, those of us that have gone to school and, uh, you know, been taught evolution, uh, that takes a lot of faith. Takes a lot of faith takes a lot of faith to believe some of my ancestors were monkeys. I mean, some of them were bad, but, you know, I never declared any of them to be a monkey. But where's our faith, church? Now, the Bible here, in the beginning, God created. I want you to mark that down. You see, the word created is very strong here in the Hebrew. It is the Hebrew word bara. Now, you and I, maybe some of you are builders. I'm not a builder. But somewhere, uh, several years back, a gentleman here in our church, uh, he built this pulpit for me. He built it for the church, the body of Christ here. And I gave him specifications. I told him this is what I'd like uh, to have. And he built it. And he went down to the local uh, store and he picked out some wood and such and, and, you know, just did everything that needed to be done. But he had a plan. He had materials. But that's not the way God operated when it came to the universe. God created. Listen, bara. Very strong word here. Vine's Dictionary, Expository Dictionary of Old Testament, New Testament words. Listen to what he says. Created is the key word in Hebrew, bara, to create. This verb is of profound theological significance since it has only God as its subject. Only God can create in the sense implied by bara. The verb expresses creation out of nothing. An idea seen clearly in passages having to do with creation on the cosmic, uh, cosmic scale. Excuse me. And as we just read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation. Bara. You and I need materials, but God doesn't need materials. Think about creation. God created the heavens and the earth. 
by just saying it. <laughs> he said, earth be and it was. Universe be and it was. Stars be and it was. Planets and it was. And how everything intricately lines up. Now, I understand there's a teaching called the Big Bang Theory. And everything exploded out there, and it just happened to land perfectly. Now, if there was a Big Bang Theory, somebody lit the fuse. You see, God's hand of creation. What about evolution? Listen to what Webster's has to say concerning evolution. Uh, you know, we want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Webster says evolution is the theory that every plant an animal, including man, developed from an earlier form by a series of changes that took place over periods of many years and were passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. The theory that is commonly believed by many today. Now I look at that, and it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith. Now God did use a material. God did use a substance to create man. I want you to write this down. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed life into his nostrils. So God took a bunch of dirt, and he made you. He took a little more dirt, and he made me. But God made man from the dust. That's why when you go to a funeral service, and generally, uh, you know, at the gravesite, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Now, there's a lot of people that frown on cremation. Now, my dad, years ago when he died, he left strict orders. He wanted cremation. And my mom, she was just fit to be tied. She would constantly tell my dad, but you're going to burn. You're going to feel the fire. My dad says, I'm dead. Now, cremation will take about, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours, they tell me, and you're dust. If they bury you, they're saying within a 40 to 60-year period, if they bring you back up, you're dust. So you can take 60 years or you can take, you know, a few hours. Either way, you're dust. Interesting that God brought us into this world, and we're dust, and we're going to die. We're going to go back to dust. But our spirit and our soul go home to be with the Lord, and he's going to give us a new body. Now, I like what Gail Irwin said years ago. Basically, we're about $1.89 worth of dust. That's what we are. That's what they determine. We're $1.89 worth of dust. Now, probably I'm about two eighty nine for you guys. <laughs> But we're all dust. That's what I'm, I'm trying to say to you. And yet by faith, God created, listen, the heavens and the earth. Oh, it's beautiful. Next time you look at God's creation, just, you know, remember God's creation, God's handiwork, church. It is so beautiful. Now, he begins to take us after he says to have this faith in creation, because the creator created something from nothing, bara. Then he begins to go into some of these heroes of faith. And we're just going to touch in a few. He's going to speak about Abel. He's going to speak about Enoch. And then Noah. But these were men of faith. And so we learn from the example of these men. 
And so look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 4 with me. Now, we're going to speak about Cain. And in the Hebrew, his name means possessed. We're going to speak about Abel. And in the Hebrew, his name means breath. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, he still speaks. Here we are. Here we are studying about Cain and Abel this morning. Here we are speaking about Abel, this man that was righteous. You know, 6,000 years later, if we go with a 7,000-year, you know, span of life, some believe in a young earth up to 10,000, but we still speak about him. We have the scriptures. These heroes of faith, they begin here with two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain was the eldest son of Adam and Eve. And by occupation, listen, he was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. That was his trade. He and his brother Abel offered a sacrifice to God. Cain of the fruit of the ground and Abel of the firstlings of his flock. We know that Abel was a herdsman by trade. Now, Cain's offering was not accepted because it was not his first fruits. While Abel's sacrifice was received by the Lord because he gave of the first fruits of his labor, labor that is. Now, Abel, as other heroes of faith, they were known for their outstanding faith. The bottom line, Abel's sacrifice was offered in faith. Cain's sacrifice was not offered in faith. His heart was not right. Always give God your best, not your second best. There are those that might teach, and I've heard it before. Well, you know, God accepted Abel's gift because it was a meat offering. It was a blood offering. And he rejected Cain's offering because he was a farmer. He gave of the vegetables and the fruit and the grain. Not so. You see, because we still have those that raise cattle and those that raise meat for consumption. And then we have those, especially here uh, in the Messiah Valley, we have farmers. But you see, God receives your sacrifice, your offering, when it comes from your heart. When you give God first. Now, we're not always speaking about finances. Oh, there you go, pastor, talking about 10%. That's not what the scriptures are saying. But Abel gave of his first fruit. Cain did not give of his first fruit. He gave a second best. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible teaches us, Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable servant. Give God your best. Give him yourself. Give God your best. Now, when it comes to your finances, if you can give God your best and it's a dollar, then give God your best. You see, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 got in trouble for the, that exact same reason. They said they gave this, but they didn't give that. They said they sold this, but they didn't sell that. And so God wants you to give of your best. And it's not necessarily your finances, but give of your best. Give your heart to the Lord. It, it is so important to see that. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
Now, both men had a choice. Both men could give of their first or their second. God places that in our heart. Now, you can say that Abel stepped out by faith and Cain stepped out by selfish faith. But both men had to make a a decision. Verse 4 again. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. It just kind of expounded for me. It reads this way. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. God accepted Abel's offering to show that he was a, a righteous man. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us because of his faith. You see, Abel represents that just man. Abel represents the righteous man whose acceptance before God on the basis of a superior sacrifice by faith. We also, the church, the body of Christ, we come to the born-again experience as the Holy Spirit accepts before God because of our superior sacrifice, that is Christ. You all know this verse. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You see, our sacrifice is Christ. Jesus dies, and I accept that sacrifice, and the Father acknowledges it. The Father accepts us because we're born again of the Holy Spirit now through Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice is Christ. The Father accepts it. These Hebrew Christians now, Likewise, they had to come to that place. One commentary said this, Like Abel and the Hebrew Christians found acceptance before God on the basis of the better sacrifice of the new covenant, which speaks of Christ, the other unbelieving brother, which is Cain, found no such divine approval. Even death does not extinguish the testimony of Abel. You see, Cain came to that place that a lot of people come to. I'll get to God my way. Many roads lead to God. And yet the Bible specifically says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me, so I must go through the cross. Abel recognized that even in the Old Testament. Okay, Lord, I'm going to give you my best. And Cain I'm going to do what I want. And so it's a hard place to be, church. Here's the first two men, basically, in the Old Testament, brothers. And we know the story. Cain kills his brother Abel. A violent death. Where was his faith? Now, we'll deal with that some more. But let's go on to verse 5 now, Hebrews 11. By faith, we saw Abel, we saw Enoch, uh, excuse me, we saw Abel, we saw Cain, and now we're going to see Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. And I want you to see this testimony. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. He pleased God. I hope and pray that as Christians, our desire is to please God. 
I hope you're here this morning not to please Calvary Chapel or to please Pastor Bob, but you're here to please God. You're here to honor God. You're here to worship God. We're here to learn from God. Now, Enoch represents the type of the church, I believe, that's harpazled out, the type of the church that's raptured out. Enoch's name uh, in the Hebrew means dedicated. Enoch represents the church. Enoch was spared judgment of God upon the earth during the flood in the time of Noah. We'll see that in the next few verses. In Genesis chapter 7, God brought judgment. I believe and I teach that the church will be raptured, harpazled out before the seven years of tribulation. 21 judgments will come. God will spare the church. I believe that strongly. How do I believe it? As I study the scriptures. And how do I believe the scriptures? I, I study them and I believe them by faith. 21 judgments that are going to come upon all mankind. Those that reject Christ will have to go through the seven years of tribulation. There are going to be seven sealed judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bold judgments. You see, we're placed on this earth to please God. Those of you that grew up in the 60s, there was a phrase, why was I born? Why was I brought into this world? I don't know if you ever said this to your parents. Uh, I remember thinking it. I wouldn't say it. My dad would have smacked me. But I, why was I born? What is the purpose? Why am I here? We had four girls, and I think one of them, maybe two of them, why was I born? The Bible says you come into this world, listen, to please God. You were born to come into this world to worship God. And then look, you know, look at our lives. And so God calls us to that place of worship. I want you to turn to a passage. Go to the book of Revelation with me. Go to chapter 4. So Enoch pleased God, and he was taken. He did not see death. The seven years of tribulation came, but Enoch was taken. He was translated. He was moved on. The, the, uh, the Greek is saying that he crossed over. Now, there are those that believe that Enoch and Elijah, these two were translated, and they're going to come back in Revelation chapter 11 as the two witnesses. Others believe that it's Enoch or Elijah and Moses. But two of them will be. Many believe that it is Elijah. The other two, we're not sure. But I believe it's Enoch. Because he was taken. But again, he pleased God. I hope and pray this morning. That's your whole purpose. Lord, I want to please you. In Revelation chapter 4, beautiful picture here. I want you to see the scene now. It's in heaven. The church is there. I believe the rapture has taken place. I believe it's pending that seven years of tribulation are going to start now. But what is the church doing in heaven? And you're going to see that they were worshiping God. In Revelation 4, look at verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round and within... And they did not rest day or night, saying, and this is what these angels cried out. These are seraphims. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. These seraphims, to get a better picture, study Isaiah chapter 6. Now, if angels 
are worshiping the Lord, singing praises unto him, what about us? You think we're just going to be there in the balcony and just watching? No, we're going to partake. Well, Pastor Bob, that's the angel's ministry. That's their call. That's their job. Well, what about us? Now, not only the angels, but it speaks about 24 elders. Now, who were these 24 elders? Many scholars believe they were 12 elders of the Old Testament and 12 elders of the New Testament. But notice verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, verse 10, then 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and to worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crown before the throne. And listen to what they're saying. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you are you created all things and by your will they exist and were created they acknowledge the creation of God in Colossians chapter 2 go back and study that all things are held up by him all things consist by you realize if God were to just take a, 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 a minute second as a break, all chaos. God has everything perfectly in line. But what's going on in heaven? Church, you better learn this because if we're Christian, one day we're going to stand before the throne room of God and we're going to be just like these angels. We're going to be just like uh, these 24 elders. We're going to be there to worship. But Pastor Bob, you don't understand. I, I sing so awful. That's okay. Because there's a scripture for you. The Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I'll tell you, a lot of us make a, a lot of joyful noise, but God accepts that. My dad fulfilled that prophecy. He couldn't sing. Oh, but my dad wanted to sing. God had set him free from so many sins in his life. My dad wanted to worship God. My mom would be at church to say, Bob, shut up. Don't sing. You're going to scare people. You're going to run people away. But my dad, he just wanted to worship God. That's what takes place in your life. You want to please God. Listen, if you're not pleasing God, who are you pleasing? You're pleasing the enemy. You're pleasing Lucifer. You're pleasing Satan. You're pleasing the dragon. I was put on this earth. You were put on this earth to please God. In John chapter 4, it tells us those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Listen, you should look forward to Sunday mornings uh, to be here for the worship and praise. I mean, usually a worship leader comes up here. Sometimes he's by himself, or sometimes they have a couple of the girls with them, and they come and they worship. We have the songs there for you. What a time to worship God. <laughs> this is a learning process. If we can't learn to worship God now, what are we going to do in heaven? Here's these 24 elders. There's somebody in the church. I mean, they got crowns. They take their crowns and they cast them in the glassy sea, according to the, the writings in the book of Revelation. They cast their crowns and they worship the Lord. 
Beautiful picture. The seraphims are saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty. And now the 24 elders, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you are created all things. They exist because of you. They give God the glory. Church, we were placed on this earth to worship God. God wants to hear your worship. I hope and pray you have a devotional time in the morning. I hope and pray you can put on a CD. Open up the Psalms. I mean, let God be ministered to by you. And I tell you, you're sincere. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off. Get a cup of coffee. You want to be comfortable. It's tough. You got kids. You're going to have to, you know, maybe wait till they go to school. But find some time. Find some time. You know, get rid of the cell phone for 10 minutes, five minutes. You were placed on this earth to worship him and to give him glory. And so by faith, Enoch was taken away. Why? His testimony, he pleased God. He pleased God. And <laughs> he pleased God. He honored God. Now, let's continue here. Look at verse 6 now. But without faith, listen, he's still speaking about Enoch, speaking about Abel, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those things for those who diligently seek him without faith, church. In my life, without faith, in your life, it would be impossible to please God. It cannot be done without faith. Listen to the word to please God. The word to please God. The word please to, to gratify God. To pleasure God. He desires to see our faith. God will reward our faith. One day, he will reward that with eternal life. A rewarder in the Greek is one who pays wages, our payment for our faith. First of all, is my salvation. My faith also one day will reward me eternal life with God. All this through our faith in Christ. Abel pleased God, and God took him through death, a violent death. His brother killed him, stoned him to death, bashed him with a stone. Enoch pleased God, and God took him. Enoch was taken out. It was a perverse generation, a perverse world, right before the judgment that Noah was going to be part of. And so... I want you to see that this morning. Now, I pray that each one of us are going to be part of the rapture of the church. But if not, the Bible says that it is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. So uh, either we're going to die or the rapture of the church comes. I mean, this we know in Scripture. Now, we see Abel. We see Enoch here. They were faithful. Both were rewarded because they diligently and they earnestly sought the Lord. They pleased God. I hope and pray 
that I please God. I hope and pray that you please God. I mean, think about this world we live in. The husband tries to please the wife. The wife tries to please the husband. We go to school. We want to please our teachers, the professors, etc. We go to work. We, we try to please the boss and, and the company, the corporation. I mean, we go through life trying to please people. What about God? Have we taken time to desire to please him? Now, here's a scripture that I love. Before we go to verse 7, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. God is giving instructions to his church. He's given them tremendous insight, speaking to them, speaking to the hearts of the disciples. Now, they've been following Jesus for a three and a half year span. And when you come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, well, you got to read the whole context there. They come to Jesus with a, a series of questions, and rightfully so. Okay, Lord, we're going to follow you. But, Lord, we're also concerned. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to be clothed? Lord, where are we going to live? I mean, we need housing. And these are all good questions. And God tells us that he'll take care of us. God tells us that he'll take care of us. This is generally called, uh, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving instruction. Now, I've looked at this for so many years. And when I do go through my struggles, my pains, my hardship, you know, whatever it might be, the trials like Job chapters 1 and 2, God brings me back here. Matthew 6, look at verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Let's not worry, but let's please God. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're not called uh, to worry. There are some that believe that worrying could be a sin. But I have to be honest with you. There's times I worry. There's times I have concerns. As you get older, the kids are all moved out of the house. And so I have concerns and I have worries. Are my kids doing okay? And then for, you know, we have three grandchildren. And I go, what about my grandchildren? I have concerns. I have worries. Oh, I give it to God. But then I start to worry again. And so it's something that we go through. It's something that's not going to be taken away until we go home to be with the Lord. But Jesus said, here's the promise. Seek first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Lord, I, I, I worry. What, what are we going to put on the table? Lord, I worry. What are we going to put on as, uh, you know, clothing? Lord, I worry. What kind of roof are we going to have over our head? And then you can take it. Run with it. Lord, I worry about my children. Lord, I worry about my grandchildren. Lord, I worry. My mom, I worry about my uh, other siblings. My mom is still, still alive. I know the time is coming. You worry. 
The Bible says to trust in the Lord, lean not upon your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he's going to direct your path. Faith. Lord, you take care of these things. One of the things I do miss about my dad, he was a man of faith. I could call my dad up, and he could calm me down because he had such faith. And I like to get around people like that that have faith. And so here's Abel. He was a man of faith. He dies a violent death. Here's Enoch. He pleased God, and he was a man of faith. God takes him. It rains on the just and then the unjust. Now, Enoch is in heaven, but Noah has to go through the flood. Let's go to verse 7 now. But each one of these men, it begins by, by faith, it says. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He condemned the world by building this ark, but he invited them in. Now, let me give you the scenario about Noah. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. And God gives him the blueprints to build this ark. Now, he's building this ark in the Middle East in a place where there was no body of water uh, that could justify this. And this ark, when you look at it, people that have done the figures, the math, uh, you could easily... And this blows the mind. Put 500 boxcar, trained boxcars inside this ark. That's a pretty good size ark. Now, Noah had 120 years uh, to build this ark. Now, when you get through thinking about Noah's faith, I want you to think about his three sons. And I think Dad's lost it, man. We've been building this ark for a long time. And I don't see no water. I mean, can you imagine this ark? Go back and, and see the specification. Pretty good size. And you're building it here in the Messiah Valley. And you, you look over here. Well, the real grand. No, that ark would never fit there. There's not a body of water. Even Elephant Butte is not big enough for the ark. But God had a plan. Noah, build this ark. And he did. You don't think he was jeered at? You don't think he was pointed fingers at? Can you tell how many times they banged on the outside of the ark? Hey, what are you doing? And then calling out Noah's sons. Hey, you're following dad. What's your problem? But he built the ark. Now, God told him it was going to rain. You go back to the time of Genesis. There was no rain as you and I understand rain. At this time, the scientists tell us that the earth had a greenhouse effect. The greenhouse effect literally uh, was mist that kept the vegetation growing. But there was no rain. They didn't understand rain. But Noah warned them for 120 years. And then the Bible says that God told Noah, okay, the ark's finished. Now listen to the obedience and the faith. Go get the animals two by two. That's always baffled me. All the people that he invited, they wouldn't come into the ark. 
Bible says only Noah and his family, total of eight. But all the animals came in two by two. They obeyed and they marched into the ark by faith. Now, when you get to heaven, you can ask them why two flies went in and why two mosquitoes went in. I don't know the answer. But they were spared. Then the Bible says the ark was closed. God closed the ark and then he sealed it with pitch. And they were in there for seven days. Now, can you imagine the pounding on the outside of the ark? Laughter, jeering, name-calling. And then all of a sudden, one drop of rain. Now, remember, you don't know what rain is. All you know is the greenhouse effect. Little mist going on, takes care of everything. All of a sudden, that drop. That first drop on the nose. Dad, what was that? Rain. How do you know it was rain? By faith, God told me the rains would come. And then the Bible says the rain started coming. And the Bible says not only did it rain from the top to the bottom, but also it came up from the ground. So much that it covered the highest peaks. I believe in a universal flood, not a sectional flood. And those that do the hiking and, uh, you know, the... Ron Gordon is one of the guys that hire. Everywhere he goes, he says, you will find shells, seashells. I believe this whole earth was covered. Judgment. Now there's others that, you know, people always come up. Well, how did Noah and the family stand it inside with all that stench, all those animals? Hey, the stench inside the ark was nothing to the stench of death outside of the ark but by faith church by faith Noah and his family were heirs of righteousness all because of their faith in God Enoch Abel they had their faith in God and church we're going to cover more and more as we're going to see ladies you're going to see some of the women of faith we're called to that walk of faith and again, don't forget Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we want more faith. Lord, increase my faith. Get into his word. Watch how God will just bring forth, you know, faithfulness in and through you. If God worked through Noah in this situation, what about my life? Now listen, Noah had 120 years to prepare. We have had the gospel message for the last 2,000 years. The last 2,000 years, man has been warned. Man has been warned. And they scoff and they make fun of, oh, you guys believe in the rapture of the church. You guys believe in the second coming. You guys believe there's going to be a seven years of tribulation. You guys believe 21 judgments are coming. Yes, we believe by faith as we read the word of God. And one day, just like that, one raindrop that hit old Noah on the, on the nose, one day, the church is going to be harpossed. And then this earth will go through uh, a tribulation that man has never seen. It takes faith to believe. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let's stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. As we just begin to, uh, the tip of the iceberg in Hebrews chapter 11, this faith chapter. 
these heroes of faith, this sphere of faith. Lord, teach us. Teach us your faithfulness, Lord. And Father, this morning, as we've heard the message, I need to ask the question, have we first already stepped out by faith to salvation? And I don't want to leave here this morning without letting you know. And so with every eye closed, every head bowed, as we always make the invitation, maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ. Today is the day of your salvation, but you have to step out by faith. Oh, God will present it to you. God will make it so available to you. But the Bible says you must step out by faith. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you'd like to receive Christ, it's a simple step of faith. I want you to raise your hand. I'll say a prayer with you. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ, please raise your hand. I see your hand right there. I see your hand. Two people right here. I see your hand over here. Praise the Lord. Three people. Anybody else? would like to receive Christ. I see your hand over here. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray. And the rest of us, let's be praying for these four people that raised their hand. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we've looked at this factor of faith. We're just beginning to try to understand it. Lord, by, by faith, the worlds were created. The universe was created. Lord, by faith, we know that Abel, even though he died, went home to be with you. We know that Enoch was taken by faith. We know that, that Noah and his family, they had such faith. And Lord, now these four people here this morning, they raised their hand to you. They want to receive you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, they're stepping out by faith. And really, Lord, they don't understand, but they're doing it by faith. You've moved upon their hearts. And so, Father, as they raise their hands, but more importantly, they raise their hearts to you. Lord, I ask you to forgive them. I ask you to cleanse them. I ask you to wash them. I ask you to empty them of themselves and to fill them right now, Lord, with the power of your love. Lord, forgive them. By faith, Lord, your precious blood is what washes away their sins, past, present, and future. By faith, Lord, come into their life, tabernacle within them. Paul tells us, know you not now, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit wants to tabernacle within us. Lord, forgive them, come into their life, and now, Lord, fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And Lord, we welcome them into the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray. Lord, we 